There you go. Bam. All right. Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. In this interstitial, we'll be talking about road trip romances, um, which I didn't think I loved until all of a sudden I sat down to take notes and realized I absolutely love a road trip romance. I love a road trip movie. I love a road trip everything. And I'm, I just want you all to know I'm here for it. I'm excited. Yeah, I agree. Um, I love a road trip. I love road trips myself in real life. So I don't. I have really? restless leg syndrome. Oh. <laughs> and it's hard for me to sit for a really long time. So. That's fair. That's fair. When I was in college, we used to drive in my tiny little um, 1987 Hyundai Excel from our college campus at Smith. Um, up into New Hampshire and the drive was like a ridiculous amount of time and we used to go for weekends to someone's house up there and um, it was always like we would buy an issue of Cosmo (laughs) and (laughs) lots of Doritos and we would play the radio very loudly and so I have very fond road trip memories. I have sort of a painful road trip memory. I would say like when we, my now husband and I left Houston to move to California, we drove like a Penske truck across Texas. No, that's not a fun road trip. I don't know if you know this. There's like a little thing Texans say about road tripping in Texas. And and I didn't know it till we actually got on the road. And then I felt really like I had been duped. And it's the sun has riz, the sun has set, and here we are in Texas yet. <laughs> Because it is so fucking big. And it's true. Like, you you know, especially in the, like, the, I mean, I can drive to Wisconsin or Indiana, like, within a couple of hours. Right. But, like, you, goddamn, Texas is big. Right. I have had that experience, too. I grew up in Rhode Island. So <laughs> you can, and I live in New York City now. And, you know, my it's husband. Like five minutes long, right? Who is Californian is, like, what is with this place where you can drive through five states in, like, three hours? Um, so yeah, when I, I have driven almost cross country, I drove from New York City to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and that middle, it is a stretch. Yeah, There is. is a lot of just dead air out there. <laughs> well, at least now with like satellite radio, and I mean, I yeah. feel like it would kind of be better. You'd have your audio books, it would be, you'd have Robert Peckoff in yeah. your ear holes, and it would be probably a really nice road trip, right? Exactly. But no, I remember like... In being in Missouri or Oklahoma or somewhere, and there being a sign that said next Starbucks 160 miles, like on the side of the road. And I was like, well, we obviously need to stop. <laughs> like, I'm fully hydrated, but we are stopping. Just in case. <laughs> um, in Chicago, I'm pretty sure there's a Starbucks one every 160 feet. Yeah, same. Same in New York. But I mean, it's not even like I needed yeah, 160 a inches in New it's York. It's a terrifying thought for a person from Rhode Island and New York City that you might go 160 miles and not find a thing. Anyway, road trips. <laughs> I've written a road trip romance, which is very fun in historicals because you can put people in a carriage together and they're sort of forced to like sit close to each other and go very, very, very long stretches of time together invariably you have to pause at a posting inn and there's never enough rooms so you have to pretend to be married and sleep in the same room probably in the same bed there might be a bath involved it's usually pretty sexy of course it is although i always do feel like have you ever ridden in an actual horse-drawn carriage (laughs) 
I mean, it just feels like that would be really hard on your like restless leg syndrome be damned it's like restless butt syndrome yes wouldn't that true. hurt i will say um joanna shoop has a great story about this because when you ask joanna um what her um what the strangest thing she's ever researched is her answer is that she made sure that you could have penetrative sex inside a carriage so I don't know how she I feel like that. that's a real service to Romance Landia that we all know that's true because I do <laughs> love it in a book. I love it. We're going to have her on um, for her own interstitial. And when we do, we're going to ask her to like pause and talk about penetrative sex and then we'll tack it on to this interstitial. How about that? There you go. Perfect. Added bonus. I was like, because it may have already happened. In we the don't know. We have no idea which... what the timing is for anything, but like, stay tuned for Joanna talking about sex and carriages. Amazing. Um, no, I haven't. But what I can tell you is that it was super duper uncomfortable and that in romance novels, they are um, basically clown cars because... <laughs> Especially for me, like, I've always got, like, my heroes who are, like, seven feet tall and, like, five feet broad. And they absolutely can, like, have cunnilingus in a carriage, which is impossible. (laughs) Definitely did not happen. But there's a reason why romance is shelved in fiction, as I like to say. That's true. Um, But speaking of Joanna, I actually picked a Joanna shoot book for this interstitial. So I'm going to go first. Perfect. I love Joanna's Gilded Age novels a whole lot. Joanna wrote um, some wonderful Regencies, which I adore. The Lady Hellion is one of my favorite Regencies. You should all go read it. But um, her sweet spot and the thing that I love her most for are her Gilded Age books. Um, I love them so much that I begged her to be part of an anthology with me and Tessa Dare and Sophie Jordan so that I could make her write me a Christmas Gilded Age story. I'm wild about her. And um, she wrote my probably very favorite road trip book, which is Tycoon, a novella that I read in like an hour on a plane. Yeah, it's great. Just unable to stop just tearing through the pages. So basically, Tycoon is strangers on a train. Um, set in Gilded Age, New York City. The heroine is a perfume counter girl at a um, at a department store in the 1890s, and she witnesses a crime that she should not, obviously, have witnessed. And she has no choice but to take off. So she takes off chased and lands herself at Grand Central Station, um, where a train is about to leave the station. And she basically ends up stowing away inside the private rail car of the president of the Bank of New York, as one does. Yeah, except that I sort of also wanted it to be with like Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places, which is my favorite. <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry, like you're you're going to talk about like the New York City Stock Exchange and a train. It's always going to come into my mind. <laughs> I just had to say that. There's, I'm sorry. there's no. This is nothing like trading places. <laughs> so the president of the Bank of New York is in his private rail car. So there's this great Ani DeFranco poem. I'm a huge Ani DeFranco fan, and um, there's this great poem that she, where she says she dreams of riding like Duke Ellington in her own railway car. Because once upon a time, the line followed the river and peeked into all the backyards. 
yards and the laundry was waving and the graffiti was teasing us from brick walls and bridges and we were rolling over ridges through valleys under stars. I dream of touring like Duke Ellington in my own railroad car. I dream of waiting on the tall blonde wooden benches in a grand station aglow with grace and then standing out on the platform and feeling the air on my face. And I just, the moment we got onto this train car, all I could think was like, this is how people like live the life. Like private rail cars is, that's bonkers. And there's something so decadent. So when we, in the historical world, right, we spend so much time talking about like the things that we sort of, that are sort of markers for decadence, right? And like wealth and excess. So it's like why we love dukes so much. Like it's just a duke is... The top. A duke is super rich and super powerful and has everything. And there's like, it's the billionaire of the historical, right? But Joanna like reached into my psyche, (laughs) (laughs) fiddled around and like planted this idea of railway cars, like private rail cars as being the top. Super sexy. The top. So here they are. They're um, now on a train headed for St. Louis. And it is, uh, it's a long ride, and she is on the run, and they have to. There, it's forced proximity, right? This is the reason why road trip romances work so well. It's like rolling trapped in a cabin or whatever, right? Well, and don't you sort of have this sense? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I really, honestly, have this sense that, like, if you are forced to like be in the same space. As another human, for however long, you're going to end up caring for each other. I know that's probably not true, <laughs> but in my head, like, it feels, maybe it's a little stockholm <laughs> I, I think, though, I do think there's something else, though, because it's, like, the journey itself matches, like, the arc of the character's relationship changing, right? Yes. And I think that it, you, you know, like, you actually have there's like dynamic problem solving that has to happen on a road trip right because the obstacles that they sort of face or encounter are ones that are like out of their regular sphere um and i think the other thing i was thinking about a lot is that really good road trip romances um no matter if it's on foot or on a train or in a car often really reverse the insider outsider role right like the the like self-assured gentleman Mm -hmm. is going to be destabilized in some way sure the the young woman on the run is gonna find hidden talents Mm -hmm. yeah and i and i think that's what i also really like about it is like the a really good road trip romance means that there's like this shifting roles yeah and it's it's really unpredictable because you don't literally don't know what's going to happen next and i i that's what i think is really powerful about it too i and i i think that's so true because i think that um it also it just it's fish out of water naturally right because right. the president of the bank of manhattan is i mean no matter how comfortable his private railway car is it's not his world like that's not his and especially as they're leaving that world behind right like they're leaving Mm -hmm. they're literally physically leaving his world right but what I love so what I didn't mention is that when she turns up at Grand Central and she's being chased by these sort of nefarious characters she launches herself like straight into this stranger's arms and like plants one on him and he's like oh hey (laughs) (laughs) 
But also what I love about this is that when you get to the, and this is true of all forced proximity stories or most forced proximity stories where like the end, when the end comes, as the end is inevitable, like you're not going to be stuck in the same place like in a snowstorm or on a train forever. So the end is inevitable and that sort of panic of like, but at the end of this, we're, there's no reason for us to be together, right? Like we were, we were just together for this heartbeat of time. And like, if we are to be together after this, it's, we have to, like somebody has to act for us to stay together. And that's, I mean, like he's the president of a bank. She's a perfume girl. Like there's, these two people do not end up together, except of course they do. Well, and I think that's the other thing. Like, a really good road trip romance often puts people from disparate groups together. In this case, class, right? Um, Like, whatever it is, right? Like, you can get people together in the train station or in the airport or at the, you know, Ohio Turnpike rest stop or whatever. And that's the other part that's, like, really interesting about it is – is that sense of like there's new possibilities you're going to come into contact with new people but at the same time all good road trip romances do have that moment of realization at the end which is like wherever this new place is that I've ended up I've brought myself here Mm -hmm. I didn't escape my problems they're still here with me but now I have this opportunity to like change or grow or right with this new love that I found yes I loved Tycoon. Oh, it's so good. I love Gilded Age. I wish more people would write Gilded Age. I love gas lamps and I love (laughs) trains and I love the fucking bustle. Yeah. Right. (laughs) The bustle is a great invention. And I mean, it's Victorian. And so I guess I could read a bunch of Victorian historicals too but i just love it and partially it's probably because i live in new york city and so like everywhere i look is gilded but gilded age but yeah right have you told us everything we need to know about tycoon <sighs> just that it's it's usually like 99 cents in e and it's so good and you should all just go read yeah it. and because it's a novella right it's like literally supercharged like a good romance and if be. you've never read anything by joanna it's great first taste yeah um, Definitely. And you'll you'll be hooked. So I guess what I should do is start with my other my historical. Because I do think that like this is a genre, this is a trope that really crosses like historical and contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um and mine is Butterfly Swords by Jeannie Lin, which takes place in the Tang Dynasty in 758. And so it is not a train or a car or a carriage. It is mostly on foot and on horseback. Mostly on foot. I love it. And yeah. Oh, God, I love this book. And um, and this to me was very much. OK, so I think the best road trip movie ever made. Wait for it. Is Mad Max Fury Road. Because, uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> right? But the thing about Mad Max Fury Road that's so amazing as a road trip novel is it's like a boomerang, right? Like halfway through, they realize the place they need to actually go is the place they've already left. Mm -hmm. And that is very similar to the arc of this story where Ailey is our heroine and she is on the run from an arranged marriage. And this is a huge huge breach of protocol loyalty trust everything um but she knows that the man she sort of been was betrothed to his name is lee tao um essentially it turns out she finds out has betrayed her family 
and they're rich merchants. And so she decides essentially like she's going to leave him, uh, flee back to her, um, the, like the capital, Shang'an. I'm not sure I'm saying it right, but I did interview the Chinese teacher at school. <laughs> I was like, how do I say this? I'm constantly interviewing people. And um, the thing that's really fascinating about it is she essentially, while she's on the run and trying to escape, runs into a Westerner, a man named Ryan. And it's unclear exactly where he's from. At one point, he describes like sort of like go west across like sort of the, you know, the the empire and, you know, past a big body of water into the land of like two rivers. So it's like kind of the modern day like Middle East, like iraq or iran mm-hmm. right like like mesopotamia me. yeah exactly i remember high school i know like right <laughs> and he is so he's this like strange foreigner but because of that she sort of feels like she can trust him because she knows there's no way that he's essentially like a, one of Li Tao's men like Li Tao would never trust this like strange foreigner wandering around and so she feels like he she says essentially pay me i will pay you to to get me back to my father and so they like set off on foot you know there's a night they have to spend together in like a village and Jeannie lynn i've got to tell you like the way that she like her characters like physically respond to each other it's delicious yeah she's so good it's like like the like the sexiness drips off the page. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the first time they kiss, it's literally like two pages. And I was like, yes. I love a long kiss. I love oh, it. It was so delicious. And so I and all it, it also plays around with class. Like he can tell that she's like wealthy. He's not just of like a lower class. She's like he's like a barbarian. And he's, you know, not Chinese. And so the whole idea of him being an outsider But at some point she realizes like he has more skills on this journey than I do, Mm -hmm. Um, even though she's a very well-heeled young woman. And she's also um, like a swords person. She's the one who knows how to use these butterfly swords. It's a great road trip, um, walk trip, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I love also about that book. I'm a sucker for rich heroine, poor hero. She's a rich girl. She don't try to hide it. Diamonds on the soles of her shoes. He's a poor boy. Empty as a pocket. Empty as a pocket with nothing to lose. Which you would think you would get more. Um, but you don't because I guess moneyed, moneyed men are, are a piece of this fantasy puzzle but like i love it i love it when heroines have the money in this scenario one of my very very favorite old school romances is judith ivory's the the proposition have you ever read that book no i don't think so it's a pygmalion okay retelling and um the hero so the the heroine uh is a linguist it's 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 very close to my fair lady the heroine is a linguist and she's basically been told like she's made a deal that she would um that she can basically gentrify any any man like Mm, that she that is delivered to her and the hero is a rat catcher and it's historical and that's his actual job he wow catches rats that's intense <laughs> and it is delicious because he is i mean because it, it's my fair lady but in reverse right 
Well, and in this case, like, you get that, like, Ryan knows that he's, like, not good enough for her in basically every single way. And it's also one of those romances where you're like, there is no effing way that these two are going to work it out. Like, Mm -hmm. it just feels impossible. And so it's all the sweeter at the end. Well, it's that same... That same thing, that sense of like once they get to where they're going, they no longer require each other. That is the one thing. I mean, obviously, Mad Max Fury Road stars Tom Hardy. So I wish there was more (laughs) kissing always in any movie that has Tom Hardy in it. Um, In fact, I'm sort of surprised it took us this long for me to say the words Tom Hardy on Faded Mates. But here we are. (laughs) It's happened. The floodgates have opened. Um, But that is the failing of the like the reason i mean there are a lot of reasons why mad max fury road could not have been a romance as much as i wanted it to be (laughs) as much as i rewrote it in my head to be one but the big reason is is that once they get there it would not be a good romance road trip because at the end they have every reason to potentially stay together like there's nothing keeping them apart right that they have to triumph over can i say one more thing about butterfly swords though that i'll tell you okay we've talked a lot about the personal connection to a book there's this one part where Ryan, like, they're sort of escaping, like, and she's going to kind of go out first. And, you know, she's, like, a, kind of in disguise. And he tells her, walk with a purpose. Like, right? Like, that's how you're going to convince them. Mm-hmm. This is something that I would say to my son all the time. Like, that's, like, my mantra as a parent. Like, when, I mean, because we're city people, right? When you're out walking in the city, walk with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it was really funny because I was like, oh, I'm not original at all. 758 in the Tang Dynasty, they were walking with a fucking purpose. (laughs) And I love that. Like, some when your worldview is like you see that in a book, Mm -hmm. I just love that feeling. It was kind of amazing. Yeah. I have to say, for people who uh, come at me often with, I wish I want to read a historical and, um, I, but I don't – I want to read a historical in an, an uncommon setting, in a, in a non-traditional setting. This is almost always the book that I recommend them. I love this book. Yeah. It's so good. Um, So I'm going to take us in a different direction <laughs> to paranormal. Back to paranormal because why <laughs> – we don't talk about paranormal ever in the off weeks but it's all right there's all the paranormal in the world we could talk about (laughs) exactly um my pick my second pick is thea harrison's dragonbound which is the first book in her elder races series um i love this book wait so help me with the with the framing of what this series is is it urban fantasy because it's set – I don't understand the rules, yeah. Jen. I need somebody to okay. teach me the Here's, rules because – Okay. Now, I, I – like I said, I'm, ha- I'm happy for anyone to correct me. But here's what I – here I would say no, and here's why. Okay. To me, urban fantasy is like Mercy Thompson or Kate Daniels. And those are long-running series where there's like a romantic interest – but it's the same, like the same couple over and over again. Okay. So like Kate Daniels is 10 books. Mercy Thompson is six or seven books in progress. Um, uh, the Hidden Legacy series is three books, okay. right? But the difference is it's not that there's like a, it's not like Fifty Shades of Grey where you're like not sure if they're going to get together. Right. It's that like the, it's often a heroine. The heroine's like life and job are as primary as the like relationship 
And her growth as a character over the arc of the series is just as important, if not more so, than like whatever romantic ties she has. Okay. So this is not urban fantasy. You're no, correct. I wouldn't call it that. Because, you know, to me, a paranormal series is like IAD, where each book is a different like romantic pairing. Although Thea does come back to this particular pairing again. Yeah. Well, they're so compelling. That doesn't shock me at all. Also, like high fantasy versus is it is it called low fantasy? The opposite of that? I don't think so. High fantasy. Now, it's funny because I don't read a lot of high fantasy. Somebody explained this on the on the Internet to me this week. Yeah. High fantasy is a separate world. Yes. Like everything. Everything is different. This book is not that. Right. So, like, that's the other thing about, like, urban fantasy or even, like, Harry Potter fantasy, right? Like, there's a whole base world you already know. And then you might build Hogwarts on top of it. Yeah. But high fantasy is, like, Lord of the fucking Rings. Yeah. Everything is different. All that shit. Everything is different. No humans. Okay. Right. So now that we've come to, we don't, we're just going to go with paranormal. Yes. It's, like, paranormal with, like, more fantasy elements than the than IAD, for example. Yeah. Um. So here we are. We are in New York City, a modern, modern New York City. I'm going to warn everyone. There's a content warning that I want to put on this book, which oh, is yeah. the epigraph is a quote from Donald Trump. But don't blame Thea for that. Like, this was a long time ago when we didn't know what we know. If only we'd known. Yeah, so. man, you got to be careful who you put in your book. <laughs> anyway, so the har- – and it's interesting because I've been talking about this book for many, many years. And um, I always set it up in a, di- in a way that I – that references Donald Trump. And I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, but what we have is um, a bill – so we have a, 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 a world. A, it is our own world. Um Magic exists and these sort of magical beings that have magical um, skill and magical talent exist and we have known that they existed for hundreds of years. Like the whole world just accepts that there is there is the human – they're shifters essentially. And then there are magic people like witches and um, shifters and all sorts of different kinds of magical beings, elves, etc. So here we are. <laughs> Our heroine is in a pickle as heroines are wont to be at the beginning of books. Um, uh, it is New York City and her horrible boyfriend has gotten himself into some trouble and comes to her and said and she is a she's a thief she or she is unable she's able to open any lock any lock she nothing nothing can be kept from her no locks can nothing can be locked away from her um and so he comes to her he knows her skill um and he says i'm in trouble these people are after me they need you to steal something. They need me to – I told them that I could steal something from um, this dragon shifter who is basically like the single most powerful person in the world. He is yes. an incredible businessman. He owns like half of Manhattan's real estate. He is a dra- – he's like a dragon shifter. He is part- sometimes hum- a very, very sexy human male and sometimes – an actual dragon flying around Manhattan and like he lives at the in the penthouse apartment of like his tower and um he, in this tower warded behind like a thousand locks and a thousand doors is his his dragon's horde cuz dragons like 
gold and stuff. And so he so the the boyfriend says, like, I told them that you could go steal from him. So she goes, she agrees, she goes to this dragon's lair, his his building, and she walks into his hoard and she takes one penny from the hoard and leaves behind a penny from her pocket with a note that apologizes. I'm sorry I took your penny. Here's another one to replace it. And she leaves and the dragon freaks out. Loses his, his mind. It's like honestly I was like toxic masculinity 101. <laughs> he loses his actual mind. He Roars so loudly that all the glass windows from, like, this high-rise building, this skyscraper, pop right out of the building and crash (laughs) on the street. All of the magic community is like, oh, shit. Somebody is really screwed. And um, she knows it instantly. Yeah. So she takes off. And she runs to... Uh, somewhere in the Carolinas where uh, it's the elven – it's like elven land and like they have a treaty with the dragon shifters or the shifters and the dra- dragons are not like – he is not allowed on their land and he cares. He gives zero fucks about this. Oh, yeah. He is um, coming for her. all he wants is to get to her and because he tracks her using the receipt she wrote it on the back of a 711 receipt yeah and he tracks her he finds the footage of her and then once he can see her face he can track her in her dreams also very hot i would say oh, very hot there are some yeah. very hot dreams that go on in this book but also um so he finds her he finds her in the carolinas and he's basically like i'm taking you back with me but the elves don't love that he's broken their treaty, and so they shoot him, and he's unable to shift into the dragon form and fly her back, so they have to drive her shitty Honda Civic. <laughs> it's an amazing story. It really is. All the way back to New York City, and it's a magical road trip, and there are so many things I love about this book. Um, not the least of which is from the most – you know, here's the thing about alphas. And and Cressley does this really well, too, um, you know, almost perfectly. And Thea does it perfectly in this book. I love the moment at the beginning of a book when an alpha sees his mate, like sees the partner that he's going to have through the, you know, at the end of the book. And he can't help but like want to know everything about her. Yeah. And there's a moment. So uh, this receipt that she's left her apology note on is from 7-Eleven, and oh, she's bought yeah. a pack of Twizzlers and a Coke, like a Cherry Coke Slurpee or something from there, like a, a big gulp. That's a great detail. And he's like, he says to his, like, second in command, who's a griffin? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, go find the footage of this place, and while you're there, get, Buy me, these things. get me a Slurpee. And the griffin is like, and they it's all through mind, com- like, it's all, like, right. all their conversation is via, you know. Telepathy. Telepathy, thank you. Mind talk. Witching. <laughs> I'm, all like, I'm all like, witch chains. You guys, I'm a writer. It's okay. <laughs> and so it's all through uh, telepathy. And literally, he's like, get me a Slurpee. And there's this pause <laughs> where the griffin is like, um, r- okay. What <laughs> <Yeah>. size? <laughs> And it's perfect. I mean, Thea yeah. Harrison is 
It's so good. And then he drinks it and he's like, oh, this is disgusting. And he throws it away. But there's this wonder, like he's just... And then, of course, like when he finally sees her, he's like, mine, you're mine, 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 mine. And we've talked about my right, like, of course. love of mine. We love mine. I know. Even though, I mean, your faves are problematic, but... <laughs> So yeah, anyway, it's I just pretty sexy. adore it. This road trip is great. It takes them, you know, here, there, and everywhere. They end up in another realm. Um, you know, there's this big question as to what she is. She is. Yeah. She doesn't know what she is, and neither does he. Um, nobody has ever seen anybody like her. So, like, the big mystery Yeah, is... it's amazing. And then, of course, I gave this to somebody. I, I recommended this book to somebody who really loves I think high fantasy is the and they were like instantly they knew what she was because like Thea's coded a lot of like honest to God mythology in <laughs> into this book and they were like, Oh, she's obviously blah blah blah. And I was like, Well, yeah. I didn't know that until the end. But anyway, so there's lots to love. Too bad y'all don't work with me because I have a like hidden stash of romances I keep under my desk. <laughs> In paper that I lend out to people I work with, like, on the down low. Nice. And this is one of them. I, like, picked it up somewhere. I think I was in, like, a thrift store. And I was like, ooh, this should be in my stash. And so it is one that if you work with me, I should, like, make a list of what's in that bag. It's, like, Beverly Jenkins. It's some of your books. It's, like, and it's, like, I'm always trying. It's, like, one. like, Oh, no. Actually, no. Because I feel like. To, well, and he I'm gnaws like, off his own leg. Is he gnaws off his own leg? These are starter romances, no. Sarah. It's a three hundred level romance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's the Fixer by um, Helen Kay. Oh, I love that one. We should have Helen Kay on to do a, a oh romantic suspense. Are you listening, Helen Kay? We want you on. She's probably not, but she's gonna. <laughs> We're gonna tag her. It's fine. Exactly. I'm pretty shameless about the tagging. Um, yeah, I love this one. Okay, so let me do my last one, which um, I really, I had many that I was considering and I like sort of, I kept like texting you, what about this one, this one? And then I was like, this is the one and it's Hell Breaks Loose by Sophie Jordan. Sophie, we love you. I know. Well, and here's the thing about this is part of this Devil's Rock series, which I've mentioned before that I read in one big gulp. And what I love about this road trip romance is that it really pushes all the boundaries of like plausibility in a lot of ways and because what here's the here's the setup right (laughs) does it she's oh yeah she's the daughter of the president she's like the first daughter i guess and she's in her like mid-20s and she just feels so like confined by her life and her father is um heading towards re-election and he basically has told her that she's gonna have to get married because Voters love a wedding and she is not in love with her boyfriend. He's kind of like a beard, right? Like he he's a nice guy, but they don't have any chemistry. They've never even had sex. They're more like companions. And her father has been like, you have to marry this guy. And um, she one night decides she's going to just like exert this little inch of freedom by ducking her Secret <laughs> Service agents and walking out of the hotel and just going down the street and going into a restaurant by herself. And in that like 39 seconds, she's out on the street. She manages to get kidnapped (laughs) as one does. I feel like the first line of that book is something like it was remarkably easy to lose the secret service, like your secret service detail. Like it's such a great beginning because you're like, wait, what? What is happening? Who is this? Well, 
yeah, exactly. Like, what's going on? And yet she's so, and, and like, here's this, well, let me talk about the hero and then I'll talk about like why I love this like road trip romance. So the hero has honestly just as crazy of a story. His name is Reed Alistair and he was an inmate at, Devil, at Devil's Rock, but he has like essentially some business to take care of and he's ready to take down the guy who essentially, um, like kind of turned over the evidence that had him put away. Now Reed is guilty of what he's been put in jail for. It's not like he's like this innocent man, which I really did like in this series. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, you know, these are not men who are just like, Oh, I've been, I'm a white man who's been railroaded. Like that's not it. No, they've all done the things that they were sent to prison for. Um, And he staged a fight that was severe enough that he would get sent to the hospital because he knows that escaping from the hospital is going to be easier than escaping from like the prison itself. And so he essentially stages his escape right after the first daughter has been kidnapped. And it's, it, that's sort of a coincidence, but it means that like no one's really looking for him because the whole entire world is way more caught up in the drama of where she is and they end up together. (laughs) It's so romance novel. It's like, the level this is the thing about romance like if you're if if you're reading a great book like if somebody has written really really well and like granted like i'm slightly biased here because sophie jordan is one of my very best friends in the world i i would like to point out i did not pick this book jen picked this book <laughs> no i right. <laughs> but, but so like obviously i think sophie writes the like the best romances um, but I would say, like, if you are if you are reading a book written by a great romance writer, that writer can make you believe anything is plausible, which is basically the whole reason why we're doing this podcast. Well, and I think it's like an example. Remember I said earlier that, like, the journey is just like a metaphor for whatever they're going through. Mm-hmm. Both of them are really trapped, right? He's yeah. literally a prisoner. She's like a prisoner, essentially, of her life in, you know, being the first daughter. So when they both, like, break out and find each other and they're on the run, it's like literally them kind of trying to leave their lives behind. But I think the thing that I also really liked about this book is I loved Grace. I loved the heroine. And part of it is because she doesn't know what she's capable of. And Mm -hmm. yet once she's been taken, she finds this inner strength and there's a lot of times, and I, I, my suspicion is that some readers would call her, like, too stupid to live. She does a bunch of things where you're like, come on. Like, at one point, she basically uh, tries to escape. She's in, like, the middle of nowhere, Texas, and she just takes off running. And, you know, it's so tempting to be like, oh, my God, that's so stupid. Who would do that? Well, you know what? Someone who's fucking terrified would do yeah, that. I would. Right? Of course you would. Like, it's her chance, and she's not going to let it go. No. And I found that to be really... Um, like really fascinating, like, right, like sort of like this whole idea of like, there's no more logic and reason. You're just like an animal. It's like pure instinct. And the fact that she's going to like try and run and they come to this, they essentially, after lots of, you know, traveling, (laughs) end up together in this cabin and, um, and like, and of course they fall in love, but I thought it was just a really, like I said, like if I like describing the setup, you're like, what? No way. Yeah. But I found that it really worked. And I think the it reason did. it works is they're both running away from like that sense of their lives being totally controlled. And mm-hmm. they're both running towards the idea of that, like there's something better out there. Yeah. And that's why it works. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Um, because I think that there is, so I think one of the challenges, so one of my very favorite, favorite romance novels ever of all time is Judith McNaught's Perfect, um, I, which I for sure have read. Which is the one where, <laughs> talk about suspending disbelief, is the one where he's like an Academy Award winning like superstar movie yes. star and he um, shoots he shoots his ex-wife like as part of a movie as a, as part of a scene in a movie and instead mm-hmm. of the gun being loaded with blanks it's loaded with real bullets and she dies mm-hmm. and so he goes to prison because they think he did this on purpose because they had this contentious marriage and he breaks out of prison and abducts the heroine in a like snowy texas rest stop and they drive up into the rockies where they have this like amazing like fa- like forced proximity right um where they're right. like trapped in a snowy cabin for x number of weeks and i think um and it's the book as as sophie was writing these um devil's rock books i kept coming back to this pr- this judith mcnaught prison book right which is you know again he didn't do it he was innocent like he was you know wrongly right. accused etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but what's really fascinating to me is that in that, like, is is the shift over time that which we've been talking about every, like, every episode of Faded Mates IED is um, this kind of sense of, like, then it wasn't – the power dynamic was, like, he was had all the power. She wasn't running from, from anything. She was just, like, stopped at a rest stop to gas up, right? right. And then – so, like, he did abduct her. Like, it was an abduction story. But, like, you're right. In this particular case, Sophie's written, like, an abduction story where the heroine is also trying to escape something. And that's – Yeah. That's a powerful shift in the in, – thematically in this. Right. Like, in, Over that in sort of romance time. writ large. Well, and even Butterfly Swords is very similar in that way, right? Like, she's, like, I can't be with my arranged marriage. Like, he is a danger to my family, and they're still my family. You're not my family yet. I'm going to run away from this. They're both running from, like, sort of the wrong man into the arms of the right one. Yeah. I mean, I guess all of them, right? Like, Dragonbound 2 and Tycoon. They're all, like, heroines running from something. Well, and this is the part that I think is always really fascinating about a road trip romance is it's like you're running from something, but is it something you can really run from? Mm. Right? Oh, look at uh, you can't see Jen's face, but I'm getting teacher face right now. I'm getting like. <laughs> and that's the part that I think it's like, right? And then mm-hmm. that's like the faded mate part. Like, sure. Because then think about of all of the roads in the world, <laughs> we ran to each other on this one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that's been really powerful ed- ever since Oedipus. Like, I came to a crossroads. Now, like, Oedipus it goes sideways, right? Whoops, it was my mom. But <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> right? Whoops, I, it was my mom. <laughs> if only interstitials had show titles, that would be it. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right? <laughs> but, I, like, right? That's the part that's so fascinating. Like, yeah. that has been... Like this, I came to a crossroads. Like road trip romances are primal because it really is like putting you at a crossroads and you meet someone else at that crossroads and bam, now your whole life is different. Agreed. And I didn't think I had such strong feelings about road trip romances, but I was so into preparing for this one. Also, I would just say as a writer, 
um, road trip romances have a straight shot of conflict. Like you're, so one yeah. of the things that when you're when you sit down to write a story, one of the ways that you can really like plug into strong conflict, which conflict is for those of you who are not writers and don't think about writing, the the way we get you to turn the page is conflict, right? Is the end of every the end of every chapter, the moment when you're like one more chapter and then something happens, boom, at the end of the chapter and you think I I have to keep going, that's conflict. Um and the way that we imbue books with conflict, there are lots of different ways, but one of the easiest ways is to put a ticking clock on it, right? And yeah. a road trip is a natural ticking clock. Like by the end of the road trip, these two have to be together or not together. Like they have to be into each other or not into each other. And you've also established a situation where you can put a hero and a heroine or two heroes or two heroines or three people on a page, right? Mm -hmm. And keep them together but separate. Well, and it's like a series of obstacles, right? I mean, so they have to solve problems together. They have to figure it out. Like you find hidden strengths, right? Like it it really is. I mean, for most of us, road trips are pretty boring. But right, Mm -hmm. road trips and books are full of like fascinating dilemmas things are going to go wrong how are you going to fix it are you going to fix it together and move forward together which means you're building up that relationship all along as a reader it's really pleasing you see them working together right to successfully end the journey thinking that they want the journey to end right because both of them have this goal of getting to the end and then, of right. course, you get there and you realize, like, wait a second, but them being together was the whole, was all the joy. Let's bone. <laughs> well, they've already boned in a roadside inn. Yes. Mine, I don't think mine do bone in a roadside inn. The book is uh, The Rogue Not Taken. And I know, and she definitely gets shot. There's some, like, sexy medicine that goes yeah. on. <laughs> There's definitely carriage sex, right? There's certainly carriage, like, orgasms. Noodling. Yeah, a noodling. I mean, if you're in a carriage and you're not getting an orgasm, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Even in a modern day road trip romance, often there's only one hotel room. I mean, that's of course because this is one of those moments. And I know now we're getting into like full episode, like whatever. These interstitial episodes are not interstitial anymore, you guys. Surprise. <laughs> They're in between. They're just as long. <laughs> now we're getting to that point, though, into that sort of conversation about, like, true tropes, right? Because the single hotel room, like, it's almost as though if I wrote you a road trip romance and they got to a hotel and there were two hotel rooms, you'd be like, what the, what the fuck? fuck kind of book is this? <laughs> Has Sarah McLean never read a romance novel? <laughs> Or like there's multiple hotel hotels at every exit. No, there's just no. There's, there's no hotels one. now on their phone. No. There's just one. There's one. No, they definitely don't have hotel tonight or anything. <laughs> any of that shit. There's one hotel. It's run by one person and his wife. <laughs> there's keys. There's yeah. an actual physical key. <laughs> and there is one one room and it's not a double room. It's one bed, one room. It's a little cold. They have to snuggle. <laughs> and he's somebody's going to offer to sleep like on the floor and that's <sighs> not going to happen. I mean, someone's going to go into the bathroom and come out in a towel. Sure. It's like it's winter and we're in a, you know, cabin in the woods. Obviously, there's going to be a snowstorm. Like, sure. and if there isn't, are you really delivering the promise? Are you of- really writing romance? <laughs> 
But I mean, so my friend Carrie Ryan, who writes zombie novels and lots of other like great sort of darker YA, um, always says to me like, you have to think about the promise of the premise, right? Like, and when you establish, and in romance, especially when I say, oh, I'm writing a road trip romance, or oh, I'm writing a Guardian Ward romance, or oh, I'm writing a Scotland romance, like, or a, I don't know what, you know, whatever I'm writing. It's like the readers know what that's code for. And so they know instantly what scenes they, they know what scenes they want in there. And in a road trip, they want a single hotel room. If there's a – and they want carriage sex. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) I mean, you might as well be like, and they want the sky to be blue. I know. Monsters. (laughs) They want any penny stolen from the dragon horde to be replaced with another one. (laughs) They want the heroine to eat Twizzlers. (laughs) They do not want anyone meeting their mother at the crossroads, though. No, I don't want that. Anyway. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. That was Road Trip Romances. We will be back next week with more IAD. Um, And thanks for listening. Always, please tell us um, if you love us. (laughs) We like that. Um, Please don't forget to subscribe if you're enjoying the podcasts. um, And also to like and review if that's a thing that you would love like to do and maybe tell your friends if uh, you think they would like us to we like you guys so thank you and tell us of course we'd love to hear about some of your favorite road trip romances we know that we are dangerous to your tbr feel free to return the favor City C H A N G A N. Chang'an. Say it again. Chang'an. And tell me about it. Oh, it's the um, capital of ancient Tang Dynasty, China. That's right, and it means. Oh, eternal peace. This is what you get when you work with a Chinese teacher. <laughs> 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 <laughs>